Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here in Wiltshire on a clement spring morning. Hello, it's Richard Heller in south-east London on a pretty dull spring morning. And uh, we have a guest of whom we are both personally very fond. We've known him for many years. He's the founder and curator of Pakistan's first cricket museum at the Lahore Gymkhana Club, the former Test Match Ground. He's met just about everyone who's played or run cricket in Pakistan's great city of Lahore. They're still arguing there about how to rename the National Cricket Stadium, and they could do very much worse than name it after our guest, the Najam Latif Cricket Stadium. Najam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful to you and to Peter for giving me the honour to be on your podcast show. One reason why... I was so keen to bring Najam onto this program is that he's a great oral historian of Pakistan cricket. He, like Stephen Chalk in England, who we've met, he has recorded the memories of the great players of the past and preserves their inheritance. What's happening to the museum at the moment, um, Najam? Well, with the museum, you know, as you know, that uh, I started this uh, museum in uh, the year 2003. And uh, I'm actually very inspired by the cricket museum at the HSN uh, College Cricket Ground, which uh, the the new Australian uh, principal, uh, Michael Thompson, uh, has made into a very, very uh, beautiful kind of a cricket museum. I have uh, also donated a wicket that was broken by Munawar Ali Khan, the fast bowler who played against the West Indies in 1948. And uh, he broke the wicket with with his first delivery. And uh, he did the same thing in Karachi. So when uh, Munawar Ali passed away, I requested his wife that uh, she could kindly donate these two wickets to us. So she did. And I donated one of them to the HSN College because he was an old student of the institution. And uh, I have the other wicket, which I am uh, putting on display now. Who was the unhappy batsman who was facing at the time? Uh, Manavar Ali broke the wicket of Goddard. Uh, he, was, he was the captain of, of the West Indies team. And uh, he broke his wicket because uh, there are two or three people I remember who actually were witnessing the uh, the ball that he delivered. It was Imtiaz, of course, was the wicketkeeper. And Sultan Mahmood was uh, among one of the reserves. So what they say is that the wicket actually uh, flew up vertically and then split into two after being hit by the ball. Hmm. Obviously, he must have had a spare stump somewhere. Otherwise, the match couldn't have, <laughs> couldn't have continued, could it? I think he got a wicket with a following ball as well. I... Um, it's coming back to me here. Isn't that right? Yes, actually, he did. Uh, actually, he was on a hat-trick with the falling ball because the first ball was the the op- opener. It was Stallmeyer and then uh, Goddard. And then um, the third ball he delivered was actually a catch that went to one of the best gully fielders of the time. That was Nazar Muhammad, uh, who fumbled and um, he dropped. 
And who was the batsman? It was George uh, Headley who came out of a hospital because he was suffering from a back backache and had been admitted. But when the route began with the West Indies team, uh, he was summoned from the hospital and he came as a anchor sheet and uh, uh, you know batted there for uh, for an unbeaten innings of uh, forty five runs to save the West Indies. This is before Pakistan got test status, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And it, it was his batting, George Hedley's batting, that uh, drew the match. Otherwise, the West Indies probably might have lost the match. While we're on the... You mentioned Nasser Muhammad, who was the father of Mandasa Nazar, wasn't he? It's rather probably a good moment for you to tell the story, which isn't too well known, of how Nazar Muhammad lost his career. Oh, why, why it was forced well, to end. Yeah. Nasser Muhammad was, of course, Pakistan's uh, first opening batsman. But actually, uh, you know, people always confuse and they begin, they begin the history of uh, Pakistan cricket from 1947. But I, I think that the cricket of uh, this country, of this subcontinent is much older than that. And it was uh, when Pakistan came into being, it was the continuation of the same cricket that was being played uh, in India. All these players like Nazar Muhammad, Fazal Mahmood, Imtiaz Ahmed, all of them had uh, been playing uh, in the Indian cricket, in Ranji Trophy. So they were all cricketers. If had, had they not been Pakistan, they would have probably, some of them had played for India then. So Nazar Muhammad, uh, after his, his tour of India, he had an affair. His brother was a music, film music director and uh, his name was Nizami. And uh, so Nazar Muhammad used to go to the recordings in the film studio of uh, film songs of uh, the famous film and uh, film actress and singer Noor Jahan and there he had uh, began an affair with her and after the affair they were clandestinely meeting in uh, different kind of places and here they met in a uh, there, there was a abandoned house near, near a graveyard and a person who was looking after the graveyard allowed Noor Jahan and Nazar Muhammad to meet up so they were meeting up in that room and the driver of Noor Jahan, who had dropped her there for her uh, this uh, rendezvous, uh, went back and told her husband as well. So the husband came with a few people and uh, <laughs> made a big uh, noise at the door of the house. Noor Jahan being very courageous, she came down and faced her husband while Nazar Muhammad stayed up in the room and he was very panicked. And uh, out of his panic, he decided to jump out of the window, which was at the back of that room, and he broke the arm. So instead of going to the uh, proper doctor or an orthopedic uh, surgeon, he decided to hide. And then he, because he lived in the old walled city, he decided to go to one of the quacks who were supposed to be uh, bone specialists. And that guy, he just tied it up and... Uh, that ended his career. Had he gone to a doctor earlier, he would have been cured. There would not have been such a big disaster. Hmm, a terrible end. Well, he was actually uh, the best the best batsman Pakistan had at the time. It was a real disaster for him and for Pakistan. Hmm. Well, Nazar Muhammad actually uh, came to England as well in 1952 with the first Pakistan Eaglets team. And uh, so Sultan Mahmood was also in, on that team and uh, so was Hanif Muhammad. So they tell me that both uh, Hanif and uh, Nazar, they, they, were, they were not very successful in the beginning of the tour because they could not read 
the ball moving in the english conditions and uh, nazar was so disappointed that he was in actual tears but then the captain of the team mia mohammed said told him you you are used to playing on the hard wickets so you immediately move to the ball as the ball is delivered so in england you have to give a little time to the ball to to be placed and then played so nazar mohammed followed it and then later on he became the highest scorer of that tour sultan mahmood tells me that hanif was not that successful on that tour but there was another story about hanif mohammed that he was so dedicated that while he was being continuously failing in the uh, innings one night they were all going out uh, for dinner and when uh, sultan mahmood came back, hanif uh, said he was not feeling well and he didn't want to go for that dinner and when sultan mahmood who was sharing the room with him came back at about 1:30 in the morning he saw that there was a light uh, in the room so he he was very surprised that he thought hanif has been uh, sleeping so when he slowly opened the door he saw hanif mohammed wearing his full kit he was wearing his pads even his cap his sweater gloves and bat and posing before a mirror and when uh, sultan mahmood asked him he said what are you doing he said i am trying to to imagine a moving ball coming at a slow pace and i'm trying to practice my shot so that next time i don't get out so that was the dedication of hanif i always say that pakistan's cricket had two great heroes that was fazal mahmood and hanif mohammed and both of them carried the team throughout from 1952 till 1960 60 61 hanif i do think is one of the most inspiring cricketers because it was that dedication and that character and that perseverance and i think that that great the greatest offensive innings of all time was his 337 against the west indies when he had basically to bat for three days didn't he to to save the game indeed i think that innings is absolutely the most brilliant and unforgettable innings played by any cricketer anywhere in the world i think and he was facing an attack with sobers i think and charlie griffith and that complete not, not griffith then but i think he was he faced gilchrist in that gilchrist match. yeah yeah he was the one of the most hostile bowlers of all time and eventually got banned yeah um, he threw it didn't he what he, yeah. he what he bowled beamers beamers yeah and uh, and of course there was there were no helmets there were no chest pads and uh, hanif was only using those uh, small uh towels just to uh, cover his thigh and nothing else they were hotel towels weren't they so he's yes. got the ball thudding into his thigh and he's you know nowadays players have proper protection but he all he had was a little hotel towel he had a, according to the reports i read I, he had a little hole about 2 inches deep in his upper thigh from the thud of the ball going at 85 90 miles an hour into the, into the same place again and again and again that is so true that is so absolutely true but you know in those days these uh, cricket players they were playing for the for the honor not for money or anything like that because actually the same thing karzar did when he was playing at oval when he made those 36 brilliant Let's runs just remind our, our listeners ah karzar pakistan's first test captain who was a sort of emb- emblematic figure in the early years after independence 
So when Carter was facing uh, Frank Tyson at Oval, and uh, he was taking most of the balls, you know, on his uh, thighs or on his chest. And so when finally Carter got out, he came back to the pavilion and uh, he, when he removed his clothes, he, he was entirely turned blue wherever the ball had been hit on his body. And so the first thing he said was, may I have some brandy, please? Yeah, that is very similar to Brian Close in the heroic innings in the second test in 1963, it was, I think, at Lord's in, against West Indies. That, yeah, that Kadar, whatever failings he may have had, was a very, very brave man. Frank, Frank Tyson was the fastest bowler of, the, of England's fastest bowler in the 1950s. Frank Tyson famously bowled a ball in a, not a test match, but in a county game that, that pitched, took off over the batsman, over the wicketkeeper and... Um, hit the sight screen, full pitch at the other, you know, behind them. That's to give, give an idea. Now tell us, though, um, because you had a very close friendship with him, uh, and we've already mentioned him, of course, Fazal Mahmood, who was the uh, Pakistan opening bowler from the first test in 1954. Well, Fazal Mahmood... 1952, uh, I do apologise, yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, unfortunately, Fazal Mahmood missed out most of his cricket uh, during the, uh, uh, you know, soon after the partition and before partition, when, of course, he was selected to go to Australia in 1947. And there were two uh, selectors. That was with India, uh, for of India. course. That would have been for yeah. India, yes. Yeah. It, was, it would have been for India. And um, so what happened was that uh, uh, during the trials in Delhi, Dilip Singh and uh, Nawab Patodi, they saw Fazal Mahmood bowling and they both were of the opinion that this young lad will definitely create problems uh, uh, for Bradman when he goes to Australia. But then, of course, the uh, turmoil of uh, partition began and uh, Fazal Mahmood came back from the uh, camp of cricket in uh, Pune and came to Lahore and he, he asked Gul Muhammad that, will you be going to Australia? Because they were neighbours. And uh, so Gul Muhammad said, no, I'm not going to go because there is too much of bloodshed on. So Fazal Mahmood said, well, he also decided not to go. But later on in his life, Fazal always regretted. He said, I, had I gone to Australia, most certainly I would have captured the wicket of Sir Don Bradman. Because if Hazare could get him out, or if Sayyid Nazir Ali could have gotten him out earlier, why not Fazal Mahmood? This was his some uh, dream that he lived with for the rest of his life, which remained unattained. So he always used to say, I got Sir Len Hutton out, out twice. I would have gotten Breadman also. And it would have been a great feather in my cap. I'm sure he would have I done. I think he would have done. His father was a great fast, medium swing bowler. So as compared to Alec, Alec Bedser, wasn't he? Definitely. Absolutely. Yes, he was. But on helping wickets, he was almost unplayable. And, uh, but at Lahore Jimkhana Cricket Ground, with all his greatness, he always avoided playing the matches. Either he would have a pulled muscle or, you know, he just didn't feel like playing on the ground because this used to be a batting paradise. And uh, anybody, whoever came to bat here, would always score many runs. So Fazal was more successful on matting wickets and also on helping wickets. But, you know, even uh, uh, the wicket at uh, Oval was, um, was, as you know, was a helping wicket for him. The Oval was where he bowled out England to secure 
Pakistan its first test victory against England in 1984, a very famous moment. But just going back to that journey, this immense journey he he made in 1947 from, where was he, up in Pune on, on the training camp with the Indian team back to Lahore. It's on that journey where he was attacked by a Hindu mob, wasn't he? And it was only the intervention of the uh, famous Indian batsman, C.K. Naidu, who who holding a ticket cricket bat stopped the mob from attacking and obviously lynching um, Fazal Mahmood. That's absolutely correct. That's exactly what Fazal Mahmood used to remember and talk about. And he was always very grateful to C.K. Naidu for saving his life on that day. And uh, uh, later on, Fazal Mahmood always used to say that C.K. Naidu was one of the greatest Indian cricketers, uh, not only just a cricketer, but as a human being, he was one of the most helpful uh, gentlemen in, in cricket who helped many cricketers to play cricket as well. And Najam, I think he, I'm right in saying he was India's first test captain, wasn't he? He was indeed the first captain. Yes, he was indeed the first captain. He was the first playing captain, in fact, for India. Going back to Fazal Mahmood, Najam, he was a very good-looking man, wasn't he? And he very nearly became a Hollywood film star, didn't he? <laughs> That's right. Fazal Mahmood, I think, remains to this day the most handsome man ever to play in any sport. When Bhavani Junction was being shot in Lahore, and uh, so Fazal Mahmood came across uh, Eva Gardner uh, at the Filetti's Hotel, where every Saturday there used to be uh, um, uh, a band, music and dancing. And uh, so Fazal was there and the uh, film director George Cuker was there. So when George Cuker saw him, he said, had I met you before, I would have cast you in the film in place of Stuart Granger. <laughs> and uh, so, but when I asked Fazal that, would you have acted in the film? He said, well, I couldn't act. And, and I think it's a great compliment, which I still cherish. <laughs> Even in his old age, he remained a very handsome and a very well-dressed man. And uh, he was always a perfect gentleman. And he had all these great manners. But there was one thing about Fazal that he never came out of the, the, the Oval match. And, and I keep on saying to my friends that I think his spirit still lives at the Oval cricket ground. He actually had a very uh, almost psychic premonition of, of his great achievement at the uh, Oval when he built, bowled out the England team to secure that immensely famous historic victory. The previous year, he says, he wrote somewhere that he'd been at the Oval at, when England defeated Australia in a very, an equal, almost as famous a match. And he saw, suddenly saw himself on the balcony the following year and uh, celebrated with a great crowd in front of him as he celebrated a, a victory over England. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right, because he wrote all this in, in his book, the first book that he wrote in Urdu, which was called Fazal Mahmood and Cricket. And uh, he wrote about the first tour of India and, of course, the English tour. And he says that he was among the crowd when he saw Sir Len Hutton appear on that balcony and he was waving at the crowd. And uh, he imagined that he will also be there one day standing on that balcony. And uh, he never forgot that experience that when he stood at the balcony and looked down at the crowd, he said, this is exactly what I had dreamt about. 
He, in later life, he became a muezzin, didn't he? He did the call to prayer at his local mosque. Uh, tell me about his last day on this earth. Well, that is very true. Well, uh, he had become a very devoted uh, Muslim in the sense that he would always uh, make sure that uh, early morning he would go in his neighborhood. There was a mosque where he would uh, go and, uh, you know, make the call for the for the prayer, the azan. He was always uh, saying his prayers five times a day. But uh, it was a huge change in him because at the beginning of his career, he was he was a very westernized kind of a person. He remained very westernized still in his last days, in his the way he dressed up. He always shaved and he always dressed up nicely. And he would always uh, ask me, how do I look today? And I would say, you look worth a million dollars. <laughs> and he would smile and he said, well, yes, you know, my eyes, my blue eyes were even appreciated by the queen in England when she met me. <laughs> and he, on his last day, he was at the mosque at 4 a.m., wasn't he? Yes, he performed the azan and uh, then he went to his office. He took lunch and uh, he called his son and uh, he told him uh, later on that he should come and pick him up. But uh, within half an hour of that call, his son received another call that his father had had a massive uh, heart attack and he has passed away. I mean, he was a, a very great man, I think, Fazan. Of course, he wrote a rather good book, I think, rather a moving book about the faith in Islam, didn't he? That is true. Well, Fazal Mahmood was uh, absolutely a very honest and a very dignified gentleman. And uh, he lived in a very frugal manner. And uh, he did not be believe in any kind of uh, frills about life. He was a very contented person. All his dreams were of the cricket that he had played. He was a dignified police officer. And uh, he was above all kinds of favoritism and uh, bribery and every, you know, uh, ills that most societies face. And uh, he remained a very faithful Muslim. He believed in ethics as a gentleman. He believed in all kinds of honesty and fair play. And he always used to say, cricket cannot be cricket if there is no fair play. Basically, Najam, all um, Pakistan even test players, international players, were essentially amateurs, weren't they? They played for pretty modest expenses, didn't they? They wouldn't, and they didn't get, there weren't, weren't the great commercial contracts that um, cricketers get today. So he really had to live on his earnings as a police officer, didn't he? Absolutely. Uh, in those days, all cricketers, they used to have a job. And they played cricket for enjoyment and for honour. And uh, wearing the Pakistan blazer, was the ultimate dream of every cricketer. There was no question of dreaming for money there or no desire for it in those days. And uh, it was not just Fazal Mahmood, it was Kardar, Imtiaz, they all played for the honor of this country. And uh, uh, Fazal Mahmood used to tell me that uh, there was no money, we only played for our country and for the honor of, uh, of, uh, of Pakistan. And uh, we had never even thought about it that there, there should be money in it. They all worked in different kind of, uh, you know, jobs like PIA started uh, giving jobs to cricketers much later in uh, late six, uh, mid 60s, uh, be between 60s, 65. People like Saeed Ahmed and uh, Hanif Mohammed, they all joined PIA later on. But that was actually Kardar who thought that the cricketers should have some security. 
and uh, instead of worrying about their jobs because sometimes the employers would not give them any kind of a respite to go and play cricket like manavar ali khan uh, he was working for an english uh, insurance company who would never allow him to go and play cricket so that is why he missed out on official test cricket notum tell us a bit about the lahore jimkhana cricket ground itself which used to be a test match ground uh, even though it's a club ground and what was what was it like to watch cricket matches there in the 50s i think lahore jimkhana cricket ground is very much like uh, uh, like an english county cricket ground which it has beautiful uh, old trees surrounding it greenery and uh, an old cricket pavilion which was made out of oak wood which was specially imported from england uh, in 1880 um, and uh, about eight wickets were laid uh, turf wickets were laid there and uh, the distance from the pavilion to the main wicket is not too far so you can actually see the players and see their expressions while you're sitting there and watching cricket and it is an experience which i think is it's most unforgettable and uh, i dare say that this is the best cricket ground the most beautiful cricket ground in the whole of the subcontinent it is a lovely ground what sort of crowds did it used to get for test matches and how were they all accommodated did they just sit on the perimeter uh well they used to make uh, arrangements like makeshift arrangements with the uh, with the wooden planks and they would build them up and uh, about 20000 people uh, could be accommodated but the best part was that they had uh, different enclosures like they had an enclosure for film stars they had a general enclosure they had the vip enclosure then they had the guests of players that was in another enclosure and uh, movement was quite free not too many policemen uh, you know around uh, uh, the ground anybody it was like a carnival and players were always moving around people were easily uh, you know meeting players taking their autographs and uh, everybody was accessible and uh, my aim was always to be in the pavilion and uh, so i would always go in the pavilion and uh, meet these players take their autographs and uh, we could wait outside the dressing room and uh, players were very generous not only generous they would even you know exchange their phone numbers and they would uh, even ask us questions if we were school boys or college boys or whatever so it was absolutely wonderful like for example when bino mankad was leading leading out the team to field uh, in the match in the test match and there i was i did not realize that this was not the time to go for an autograph so i ran up to him so he looked at me and gruffly said not here my boy later on and so crestfallen i came back but um, i was able to you know take autographs from people like kardar and fazal and hanif mohammed it was so easy and they were so pleasant and they were so welcoming you don't see that kind of a cricket culture anymore certainly don't just put it in context you were a schoolboy then weren't you i was a schoolboy i went to central model school and central model school had a great cricket ground and all these players like uh, parvez sajad and shafkat rana they all became my contemporaries the wakar ahmed uh, we were all together uh, in central model cricket team and uh, so cricket team was always the first priority of uh, schools like 
center model or hsn college and uh, uh, those were the days when you you could not imagine a school without without a cricket ground and now we are lacking grounds there are so many schools without grounds now that's mm. a great loss to pakistan cricket isn't it because there was a terrific as you said there was a tremendous feed through of of uh, of players from school and college and into first class and test grad and into test scene wasn't there well in the big cities in lahore and karachi particularly well actually the cricket structure was like this that you played cricket at school then you went and played at the college or the university and then of course there was club cricket now sadly the club cricket has completely been ruined there is no club cricket left for example all the cricket clubs used to play at minto park which is later on called ekbal parks minto park is that great named after a, i think a viceroy wasn't he vice a minto and he was a, right. a great park outside outside the walls of the old city absolutely you're absolutely right but what happened was like we say that lahore was plundered by the sikhs and the pathans but i think it was again plundered by the sharifs because <laughs> they completely ruined the grounds of mentor park the university ground because of their projects of the orange train and the metro bus so the mentor park nursery which was actually the nursery of cricket like the carson institute of pakistan western railways which again is lost used to be the nursery of cricket and uh, now they have just made it into a park there are only about six or seven nets which are being held at mentor park and they too are set into a corner where the old ravi river used to flow and the ground is like a quicksand so it is a very difficult situation there so uh, the boys who are playing cricket there are facing a lot of difficulty so unfortunately these cricket nurseries which produced players like lala amarnath like uh, uh, fazal mahmood like mohammad nisar and uh, like said ahmed like shafqat um, rana like salim altaf they 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 are all the products of the minto park and uh, we used to play wazir ali cricket there and uh, among my contemporaries there were people like uh, uh, who later on played for pakistan uh, there was this mohammad elias was there this bashir mia was there there is a huge colorful story of the uh, lahore cricket but unfortunately that cricket is no longer there the new cricket which is now as we know is 2020 has taken away that cricket from us forever i think and uh, so the so we now live on memories of minto park of uh, bagi jinnah and hsn college by the way bagi jinnah just for, for listeners bagi jinnah is another name for the lahore gymkhana it's the wider area which used i think to be a horticultural center i didn't say it. it's about 140 acres in central lahore tell us now bring to life some of the brilliant cricketers and great characters you knew at the time i mean one of them is a player who nowadays would be world famous and he would be playing in the i well actually not as a pakistani in the ipl but he'd be a glorious famous cricketer imtiaz ahmed wicket keeper batsman in the early years and who you i know talked to a great deal and nearly wrote a life with him didn't you imtiaz uh, was uh, in my opinion uh, and still is he's the best wicketkeeper batsman that pakistan has ever had 
and Imtiaz was the first wicketkeeper batsman to score a double century. He made 209 against the New Zealanders at uh, Lahore Gymkhana Cricket Ground. And uh, he became the first wicketkeeper batsman in Test cricket history to score a double century. And uh, later on, many years back, when I asked uh, Imtiaz, why did he get out after scoring 209 runs? He said, well, on that day, they could have never gotten me out. I just simply got so tired. And uh, it, the bowler, it was uh, the New Zealander off-spinner, Moyer, who got him out. He said, I just got bored and got out. And uh, strangely, in the second innings, probably he was still bored and tired that he was out for a duck. But otherwise, Imtiaz remained a gentleman right to the end of his days. He was very helpful and uh, he was always very positive as a cricketer. I had an opportunity of playing under his captaincy in 1964 at Karachi when he was taking a team on tour to Ceylon and I had uh, uh, joined the cricket camp as a practice bowler and uh, so he made me play in a match with him. How did you do, Najam? Did you take some wickets? Were you a contender for that tour of Ceylon? No, I was not a contender of a, uh, of that tour uh, because earlier in 1962, I had attended a cricket camp which was uh, a yearly affair run by Pakistan Sports Board at Karachi. It used, it used to be a cricket camp of six weeks. And uh, so most of the players uh, from the universities and colleges who were good players would always be invited there. So I had already attended that camp and uh, I was by chance in Karachi. And uh, when, I, uh, when I came to know that at National Stadium, the uh, probables are batting uh, and playing uh, cricket to, uh, for the camp to go to Ceylon. My friends, people like Farooq Hamid was there and uh, Shafkat Rana was there. So they were actually the contenders. So they asked me to, to join them. And so I played there under Imtiaz and uh, I was able to bowl Imtiaz in nets and I bowled him. Um, I bowled other players like Fakir Azazuddin and uh, Barki and I played with all these players. But I was not a contender for, uh, for, 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 the, for the selection of the team. These were very common, weren't they? These sort of cricket camps uh, in Pakistan, and a lot of players sort of came came through them and were selected on that on that basis, or not selected, weren't they? Absolutely. You see, these were just the trial matches. Wazir Muhammad always tells me that uh, these tri- these uh, camps were rather quite unfair because uh, they would let you in and play a few couple of uh, balls. And they would either select you or they wouldn't select you. Wazir Muhammad says that he was asked to join a camp when he had already scored 100 in East Pakistan in Dhaka in a trial match. But yet he was again dropped to go on a tour for India. So these trial matches were always held uh, before a selection of the team. Some trials were held at Bahawalpur. Some were held at Lahore. Um, let's go on to one or two other players um, you knew and got to know very well. Have you seen Saeed Ahmed recently? How is he? Well, I met Saeed Ahmed uh, uh, just when the pandemic had begun. He is fine. He's okay. And he's busy between his prayers and his home. And uh, he's confining him himself 
mostly at home. But of course, Saeed was a very glamorous player in his day. Uh, he was a very westernized person when he came back from the first West, West Indies tour of 1957. He was a very avid dancer. So he showed, showed me how the West Indians would do the Calypso. <laughs> and uh, well, there is another dancer we knew then who was S.F. Rahman, who also has become a cleric. And uh, Saeed Ahmed is also, he has joined a religious uh, group of Tablighi Jamaat. And uh, so he's also busy with his players and uh, with his prayers. And uh, S.F. Rahman, of course, he holds a congregation uh, in a mosque where you, uh, Richard, Indeed. had attended, um, uh, you know, his sermon. And uh, he always remembers you. And uh, he's always asking me, when, when is uh, Richard going to be back? Well, I'd love to see him again. I'd certainly, if he's still preaching, I'd love to hear him preach again. I think he marked me down as a potential convert. <laughs> we went a couple of times. Uh, yeah, and he's that, part of the. He's uh, became a very uh, became a preacher and a, very, and a theologian. He wrote a lot of books. He became a Wahhabist, didn't he? Which is a very austere branch of the of the Muslim faith. Definitely, you're absolutely right there. You know, uh, you are his potential wicket. <laughs> like uh, like Fazal Mahmood was always thinking about John Bradman, S.F. Rahman is always thinking about you in that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, but I'd love to hear him preach again. I'm glad glad he is still preaching. Uh, he's still active. Well, hmm. Yeah. Well, he he recently performed uh, the wedding ceremony of his uh, granddaughter in the mosque. With uh, it was a Friday congregation, and after the congregation. He invited everybody to join in while he performed the uh, the, the wedding ceremony. Najam, as you said, Saeed Ahmed was a very uh, attractive batsman to watch and a very attractive and rather glamorous man uh, in personal life. He always loved to tell the story of his personal invitation from the Queen, didn't he? He met the Queen privately oh, of in, course. in 1967. Tell us about that. Absolutely, that is true. If you remember, uh, uh, he talked about uh, this meeting with the Queen with us when we met him, and which he repeats all the time, that uh, it was two people from the 1967 uh, uh, cricket team who could speak English, and uh, that was him and Salim Altaf. So they both went up in the Queen's uh, box. He says she invited him. And uh, so what, what did they talk about? So he asked, what, did, what do you remember of Pakistan? She asked the que- he asked the queen. And she replied, the horses and cricket. And uh, after that, the queen said to him, well, Saeed, whenever you want to see me, just come over and meet me. Uh, obviously, at Buckingham Palace. But I don't think that Saeed uh, ever went there. But he still cherishes the invitation that he received from the queen. So it's still possible that next time Saeed Ahmed is in London, he might knock on the door of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Queen has changed quite a lot from 1967, as you said, uh, in in appearance. He's got a beard, and um, if he turned up uh, as he now is, in his, uh, with a beard and his long flowing robes, I think the Queen would have to be reminded of him, wouldn't she? He looks completely a different man. Not only a different man, he even acts differently now. Najam, now tell us about your museum. For those who haven't seen it, and I really recommend everybody should, it's actually a biggish room inside the 
Pavilion at the Lahore Gymkhana Grand. It's a room which uh, I believe used to be a sort of bar under in the old British days. Is that right? No, actually, it was a dining hall where both the teams used to gather together because in the old days, the cricket culture was so different. Both the teams would dine together. They would have tea together and there used to be a round table, a round dining table placed in the center of the room where the players used to gather together. And we as autograph hunters used to stand outside the door and we could see them having tea, having a, you know, a good chat together. Uh, so when in, in 2003, actually I started to ask the cricket ma- management of Lord Jumkana that I wish to start a cricket museum. And from there on till now, I have been at it and I've been collecting memorabilia, pictures and all kinds of uh, cricket artifacts. And I feel that uh, this museum has the most beautiful things collected so far. And it was just a passion. It was a uh, absolutely a, a love affair that uh, this cricket museum came up came about. When I first made a cricket committee uh, for the museum, it had Fazal Mahmood, Imtiaz Ahmed, Khalid Qureshi, Iftikhar Bukhari, these kind Zafar Altaf. These were all the players, and of course, Dr. Farah Ahmed, uh, the first cousin of uh, our Prime Minister Imran Khan who was not only uh, a great uh, cricketer himself, but he was a great book lover and he, and he was a great guide and he would always support me in my cricket museum efforts. So uh, the cricket museum has got one of the most rare things that any cricket museum in the world has. For example, we have saved a piece of the original uh, turf, which was imported from Worcestershire in 1882. We have a a small piece of it preserved. Then we have the 1932 uh, cap of Dr. Jangir Khan, which which he used in the inaugural test at Lords when uh, India played England then. Uh, Then we also have the camera with which the first photographs, the uh, action photographs were taken uh, of a cricket match in Pakistan which was done by F.E. Chaudhary. He perched on the uh, top of the pavilion. And uh, he, in those days, they didn't have zooms. Now, this camera was actually was a camera used by the Air Force uh, for, for uh, reconnoiter purposes. And uh, so he built a small box, which he used it as a lens, uh, as, a, as a long lens, and uh, took pictures in 1948 of the West Indies match in action. And uh, so we have that over there. Then we have uh, uh, the, uh, the, the last cricket bat with which Majid Khan played. Uh, that is there. Majid Khan is one of the most renowned and remarkable players uh, of Lahore Jimkhana. And uh, of course, this is a ground where even Imran Khan has played. And the Lahore Jimkhana Cricket Museum is the only cricket museum where we have our trousers signed by Imran Khan and it is on display. This trousers was actually very difficult to get and it was uh, Javed Zaman and his son Baba who actually were able to uh, get this for us. Javed Zaman, who some people won't know, is a famous character who basically was the mentor, wasn't he, of Imran Khan in his journey into 
Test match cricket. Tell us how Javed Zaman is these days. Uh, Javed Zaman is uh, is keeping well, and uh, he is not only the mentor; he's the maternal uncle of Imran Khan, who actually brought brought him into cricket and encouraged him into cricket. And uh, Javed Zaman is now one of the, I would say, legendary old grand men of grand gentlemen of cricket, and. Uh, well, he's there. He's still uh, the secretary of Lahore Jimkhana Cricket Club. He visits the club every Tuesday. And uh, because of the pandemic, since not much activity is uh, taking place, so we meet just once a week now. I know. He's very generous to us as well when we were, Richard was. and I, were doing our research work into Pakistan cricket. To do well, indeed us, he was. Do send Javed uh, Zaman our warm regards. Absolutely. He would he would really appreciate that very much. Please do. And you mentioned Majid. Is he, is, have you seen him recently, Najam? Yes, I, of course. Uh, uh, Majid Khan, whenever he's in Lahore, I always meet him. He's always very kind to, to, to make a point to see me. And uh, he has also been recently in Lahore and uh, got his vaccination. Uh, Majid Khan and I go a long way back. Uh, I first met him in 1964, at a net practice in, at the HSN College. And uh, as luck would have it, when he was going to make his debut that year uh, against Australia in uh, Karachi, by chance, he and I, I was traveling to Karachi for business and he was going there for his debut. So we sat together on the aircraft as well. He's a very charming gentleman, a knowledgeable gentleman, a generous gentleman and a great cricket gentleman indeed. I know he was also extraordinarily kind to us when we were doing our our research work. Uh, he gave me that, or allowed us to use that amazing uh, photograph of the of the three sisters who were all mothers of Pakistan Test captains. Tell us about that picture, Najam, because it is so moving. Well, of course, uh, in the picture, the the great the, the in the picture, the three great sisters are there: uh, mother of Imran Khan, mother of Javed Burki, and mother of Majid Khan. And of course, their only brother, Aga Ahmed Raza Khan, is also in the picture. Aga Ahmed Raza Khan is one of the founders uh, of the Pakistan cricket. When in the beginning, uh, cricket structure were, was being made, it was. Fida Hassan, Aga Ahmed Raza Khan, Dr. Jangir Khan, Mohammad Nesar, and Mia Said, who actually formed the first cricket board and uh, laid the foundation of cricket in Pakistan. I wonder, Najam, we've got to wrap up, wrap up now. Can you do one thing, which is to pass on our salutations to the Majid Khan? Tell him that he's the second week running, he's been discussed. We, Andrew Hignall the historian of Welsh cricket and the scorer for Glamorgan was telling us all about him last week. And Majid was so generous to us. Could you just say, uh, tell him my regards? But they'll say also, thank you so much. You've been so enlightening and we've only touched on the, all your knowledge and, uh, and insight. So we hope very much that you will agree to come back and allow us to bowl at you again uh, for a second innings. Oh, it, it's, it would be a great honour uh, again, uh, Peter. And I will most uh, certainly convey your greetings uh, and best wishes to Majid. He will be very pleased. Thank you for your time, Najam. And I'd also love to have you back for a second innings because there's so many 
great players that you knew and um, have still got to talk about. For now, though, it has to be goodbye from me, Richard Heller, in a still cloudy uh, southeast London. And goodbye from me on a very still cloudy Wiltshire morning. Well, thank you and goodbye from Lahore.